0: Hello, and a warm welcome to my Asthma Spotlight Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Levy. I'm a family doctor with a special interest in asthma. My aim is to help people with asthma and also their caregivers to understand more about this disease and how to stay safe. I will share lots of information about asthma. However, I will not be able to answer any personal medical questions for which you should really consult your own doctor. The opinions I express in the Astro Spotlight podcast are my own, and they are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical, health, or professional advice of any kind. Please do see the disclaimer details in the podcast description. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com Acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at Burrow.com Acast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Asthma Spotlight Podcast. Today, I'm going to deviate slightly, and I'm going to talk about my personal views and personal feelings about the way that asthma is managed in the United Kingdom. And this has come about from hearing from two colleagues in different areas in the United Kingdom that um, recently there have been preventable deaths due to asthma in childhood. And so my podcast today will be aimed mainly at healthcare professionals and people with asthma in the United Kingdom, but I'm hoping that others in other countries uh, may benefit from this discussion. So in 2023, the United Kingdom has among the worst asthma outcomes in the world, despite groundbreaking innovations in asthma care. So how have we got to this situation, particularly where children are still dying from asthma in circumstances that could be prevented. Today, I thought I'd share my own personal views and observations after working as a general practitioner in the National Health Service in the UK for for over 45 years. Now, Having trained in South Africa and working in a respiratory intensive care unit, I thought when I arrived in the UK that I'd get a job in this field. However, that wasn't to be. So I became a general practitioner, a family doctor, and found this work to be both hard and fascinating. The challenge being that people attend a general practitioner with all sorts of medical problems. And the job of the doctor is to try and sort these out, first by deciding whether the person consulting needs urgent treatment, or whether this could be worked out over a number of consultations. Now, when I was a medical student in South Africa, I was always interested in diseases of the respiratory system, particularly asthma. Now, I had some really good teachers and great mentors. So, it was really funny when one day I got a call from a local council in the area in London where I was working. The chap said that a number of my patients in North London had complained to the council because they wanted to know why there were so many children with asthma in the area around my practice. What was happening, of course, was that I was being consulted by children and their parents, of course, who had long-standing problems with their lungs. They were suffering from repeated episodes of coughing, wheezing and breathing problems. And from my perspective... Many of these children had asthma until proved otherwise, and that's what I told the parents. Now, to put this into perspective, at that stage, and I'm talking about the early 1980s, according to the United Kingdom National Statistics, only 3%, that's only 3 in 100 children, were believed to have asthma. In addition, there had been two important recent research studies on asthma deaths, And these have been published in the United Kingdom. One of these in 1977 and another by the British Thoracic Association, which is now known as the British Thoracic Society, in 1982. In both of these research studies, the researchers concluded that most asthma deaths are potentially preventable. The main factors being a failure by doctors patients and their families to recognise danger signs of asthma attack severity and a failure to take action to prevent the attack from deteriorating. Then in 1983, I read a research paper in the British Medical Journal and this was published by a paediatric group in the north of England led by a doctor, Nigel Spate. Now they suggested that the true numbers of children with asthma in the United Kingdom should be around 11%. So having drawn attention to the fact that asthma was not being recognised and diagnosed, what got my attention was that the authors of this research stated categorically that general practitioners were to blame for the underdiagnosis and undertreatment of asthma in childhood. So as you can imagine, at that stage, when I thought I was diagnosing asthma in a number of children, my interest was aroused. So my then trainee general practitioner and myself did a small research study in our practice. And we found that 11% of the children in our practice had been diagnosed with asthma. So the pediatricians were correct in suggesting that asthma was not being diagnosed as often as it should and that it was certainly more common than it was believed to be. However, before we got too excited and patted ourselves on our backs for doing well, we were astonished to note from our research and our practice that it was taking about six years to make these diagnoses. Furthermore, and even more worrying, these children had consulted on average 17 times with respiratory complaints, That's coughing, wheezing and shortness of breath before the word asthma was recorded in the medical records. In fact, one child had had 48 consultations, three of which were hospital admissions for lung infections before the word asthma was recorded in the notes. And interestingly, about one in six of the children who we diagnose with asthma in our practice had previously consulted with difficulty in sleeping due to coughing or breathing problems. So sleeping difficulty was not being recognised as a clue to the diagnosis of asthma in childhood. So not only were the paediatricians correct that asthma was much more common in children than was previously believed, but from our own research it was taking six years and on average 17 respiratory consultations to make the diagnosis at that time. Another fact that I became aware of after we published our findings was that in addition to the ideas published by Nigel Spate and his team, a general practitioner colleague of mine, Dr. Reggie Spellman, had written in the medical press in the late 1970s that he thought coughing was a common symptom of asthma. Now at that time, wheezing, that's where you get a whistling noise coming from the chest when somebody breathes, was the main symptom associated with asthma. So the problem was that unless it was clear that a child was wheezing, asthma was not being diagnosed. Another problem at that time was that doctors and parents just accepted that children had lots of coughs and colds and This happened as they grew up and that asthma was not being considered as a possible diagnosis in children and those who were suffering from frequent episodes of respiratory symptoms like cough wheeze and breathing difficulties so in the 1980s healthcare professionals interested in respiratory disease were becoming aware of preventable deaths due to asthma being much more common than was previously believed. And as a result, there were a number of initiatives that followed. One of those was an international task force, which was convened in the United States of America to discuss ways of improving asthma care internationally. And in the United Kingdom, there were a number of initiatives that followed. um, And this included uh, the formation of the Asthma Training Center, by a nurse called Greta Barnes and as a result lots of nurses were being trained in respiratory disease and they were being provided with additional training to help them care for people with asthma. Around the same time in 1987 six of us working as general practitioners recognized the need for improved research and care for people with asthma and this group was called the General Practice Asthma Group the GPIAG. And the GPIAG was created with generous funding from Alan Wright, who was then a senior manager at Allen & Hanbury's. And I should stress that the funding was for administration of the group, and we were completely independent in the functioning of our group and the topics that we discussed. The GPIAG, the General Practice in Asthma group, is now called the Primary Care Respiratory Society, or the PCRS. And the International Primary Care Respiratory Group, the IPCRG, was formed at one of the meetings of the Primary Care Respiratory Society in 2020. Now, what also happened in the late 80s was, under the leadership of a hospital specialist, Martin Partridge, and another one, Brian um, Harrison, Um, decided to convene a meeting to create the first British guidelines on asthma, and these were published in 1990. So what happened next was that there was lots of research published confirming that most asthma deaths and most asthma attacks were potentially preventable. With the changes in the general practitioner contract in the United Kingdom in 1990, It became possible during the following 10 years, with extra funding and resources from government, for nurses in general practice to be trained in asthma care. And as a result, asthma clinics were being run in general practices, where over 80% of nurses performing asthma reviews had been trained to a high level. Now, this was clearly good news for people with asthma. However, what started happening was that general practitioners were becoming de-skilled in asthma care because they were delegating this care to be done by their practice nurses who were trained for this role. And then... Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what-if AI could fold your laundry. as has been the pattern over the last 30 years the uk government changed the plans their plans so in the national health service in the united kingdom the government introduced a new general practitioner contract and this was in the early in the early 2020s and this contract was target driven with payments for gp services based on hitting targets set by the government this resulted initially in GP workload being focused, in addition to asthma and diabetes, on eight more long-term clinical conditions. And since then, the numbers of chronic conditions attracting targets that need to be achieved, which increased the GP workload considerably without additional resources being allocated for primary care. So in due course, asthma care has slipped down in the government's priorities and funding, has been allocated to other disease conditions. And as a result, nowadays, fewer and fewer nurses are being trained in asthma care. And the problem of de-skilling in general practice and lack of funding and resources, lack of time, has resulted in that asthma care has changed dramatically, um, which has not been for the best for people with asthma. So... Most care nowadays in asthma is being delegated to nurses in in primary care in the United Kingdom. And recently, other healthcare professionals like pharmacists and healthcare assistants have been delegated the role of performing asthma review. Now, unfortunately, many of these people delegated to provide asthma care have different levels of training and expertise in managing asthma. And in addition... General practitioners are incredibly busy, and from my observations, they're really having difficulty in balancing the need for providing urgent care and attending to people with chronic diseases such as asthma. So what about how we're doing now in the United Kingdom in asthma? Ten years ago, I was appointed to lead an inquiry into asthma deaths in the four UK countries. And this was the National Review of Asthma Deaths, the NRAD. And what we found was really concerning. The majority of the asthma deaths were potentially preventable. And this was about 40 years after the first research in the UK that raised concerns about asthma deaths. The main problems were that these people's asthma was not being treated appropriately with anti-inflammatory controller drugs Too many doctors' prescriptions were for short-acting reliever inhalers, the blue inhalers, which don't treat the underlying inflammation of asthma. And another important finding was that many of those who died had not been provided with basic information on their disease and how to stay safe. And as a result, 45% of those who died either failed to call for or to get medical help during their final fatal attack and finally for me very sadly care for many of these people was being provided by nurses and other individuals without adequate training in 2023 in the united kingdom we're extremely short of doctors many are of an age where they'll be retiring soon and similarly we are short of nurses and regarding asthma There is little funding or available resources for detailed asthma training, with the result that most asthma reviews in primary care are done by people without sufficient training or competencies in this field. Another key problem, illustrated by the NRAD and my experience as expert witness for coroner's inquests on asthma deaths, is that asthma is treated in the United Kingdom as if it's an acute disease. In other words, Attacks are treated usually very well, however, very few people are followed up after attacks in order to optimise their care by dealing with preventable and modifiable risk factors. Deaths from asthma in the United Kingdom are among the highest in the high-income countries worldwide. And United Kingdom paediatric asthma deaths and hospital admissions for adults are among the highest in Europe. And emergency departments for children and young people are currently six times higher in England than they were six years ago. So with hindsight, I think we made a big mistake in fighting so hard to move ongoing chronic asthma care from hospital to primary care. One of the possible consequences of this is that there are fewer hospital respiratory specialists for adults and children in the United Kingdom compared with other high-income countries worldwide. Another consequence, due to lack of asthma knowledge in the community, is that there are fewer asthma referrals to hospital specialists, particularly in the case of severe asthma, where in adults, research has found that only about 20% of those who should be assessed by specialists are being referred. One of the other reasons why the asthma outcomes are so poor in the United Kingdom, in my view, is that while there are pockets of excellent medical practice, many asthma reviews are not comprehensive enough. And this has been a result of the GP contract that was introduced some 20 years ago, where asthma care has been reduced to a tick-box exercise, where only a few issues are dealt with in order to comply with the payment requirements for general practitioners. Now asthma care in the United Kingdom was really fantastic in the 1990s when this was properly funded in primary care. And sadly, we now have a situation where more and more care is being moved from hospital into primary care without transferring funding or resources. However, on the upside, there is currently a program Aimed at improving asthma care for children and young people in England. And my hope is that this will continue with some long term goals. So, in summary, I've shared some of my personal views and frustrations related to asthma care in the United Kingdom. Some of these will be appropriate in other countries, and I would be interested in any comments from colleagues in other countries please send these to my email address the asthma spotlight at gmail.com so looking forward in my view what is needed for people with asthma which is a chronic ongoing disease that affects about 10% of the population in the united kingdom are as follows firstly and in my view most importantly people with asthma can help by keeping themselves well informed and by ensuring that they agree an asthma self-management plan with their doctor or trained asthma nurse, and of course, that you take your controller medication as prescribed by your doctor. It is clear that more asthma specialists are needed, both in hospitals and also in primary care. And of course, this applies to both pediatric and adult care. Any healthcare professionals Delegated to review asthma need to be appropriately trained and they should deliver care in accordance with their own accredited competencies in managing different aspects of asthma. So, for example, if you are delegated to manage or care for people with asthma, only assess and teach inhaler technique if you've been competently trained to do so. Another example is if you are a frontline general practitioner or emergency department doctor, in my view, you should be competent and up-to-date in managing asthma attacks. Another example is that you should only do asthma reviews if you've had adequate training and recognise those who are at risk and who need to be seen by a specialist or need to be seen urgently by a doctor with asthma training. And finally asthma care should not really be a political football. This should be a subject dealt with by cross-parties from all walks of life. And asthma care should be afforded higher priority by governments, ideally with long-term planning and with clear national targets. Now, some examples of targets, in my view, would be to decrease hospital admissions by 50% in the next three years. Second, to decrease emergency department or accident and emergency attendances for asthma by 50% in the next three years. And third, to decrease avoidable asthma deaths by 80% in the next five years. Now, Examples of how this can be achieved are All deaths where asthma is a possible cause should be investigated by a coroner or a body with authority to access all of the medical records. Secondly, asthma attacks are a signal that something serious has occurred, and all of these attacks should be discussed by multidisciplinary teams, particularly in primary care and emergency departments, to identify and deal with with modifiable risk factors. And anyone who has had more than one asthma attack in the last 12 months should be referred to and assessed by someone trained in asthma. So this has been a personal view (coughs) from me and hopefully some of my uh, thoughts and ideas will result in change. If you have any ideas on how to improve asthma care, and examples of where this has actually worked, please do get in touch, and I might interview you for a future podcast. My email address is asthmaspotlight at gmail.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you found this helpful, and I hope you did, please click the like and the follow buttons and share this podcast. Please do send me any feedback or questions to my email address asthmaspotlight at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to answer these in future episodes.